This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Hey, hello everybody. We are back and this is the week, the week of the Venice Film Festival where Dune is going to have its world uh, premiere. Uh, just uh, yeah, hard, hard to believe that, uh, that we're really here. It's, it's really happening after all these uh, delays. People are going to be seeing the movie uh, this, this Friday, this, this weekend. So really exciting times. Uh, so this is Marcus Gabriel, and I'm here for another episode of uh, Dune Talk, uh, here together with Simon. Hey, guys. Probably as you're watching this or I'm editing this, people have seen Dune officially at this point. I'm nervous, and I'm not even involved in the production. <laughs> and we this have Johnny. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. We're, uh, yeah, this is it. I'm really uh, excited, and as, as Simon pointed out, people have definitely seen it by now. They're writing the reviews. <laughs> it's really weird to think about. Um, I'm excited to, to see what people think and get some actual like in-depth thoughts. And uh, here we have uh, Garen as well. Garen with Dune Companion. Yeah, I'm just downright nervous, so... Let's get talking so I can stop sweating. <laughs> yeah, so we've we've got a bit more of uh, movie news this week. So there's uh, been some uh, promotion material that's come out even over the weekend. So let's uh, first dive into some movie news. Dune movie news. So our first uh, movie news story for today is that we got some new international trailers. And some of these actually literally came out over the weekend, which is... Uh, yeah, it, it, it was uh, good. A lot of people weren't expecting to get uh, news on a Saturday or Sunday, but we started getting these uh, these thirty second uh, trailers or teasers from um, uh, from Singapore uh, Warner Brothers um, social media accounts. Uh, the first teaser we got was actually uh, yeah caught a lot of uh, attention. So it was uh, the, the trailer opens and we have. Uh, uh, Paul uh, to Chalamet, and we, we have uh, Reverend Mother Mohammed Moh- Charlotte Rampling, and then immediately we see the effects of the the voice. Uh, so I'll mm-hmm. start with you, uh, Simon. Uh, is 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 this how you imagine the voice t- to be when you were reading the book? Uh, first of all, as you were describing it, I was getting goosebumps. My, I know we're not allowed to curse on this show, but if you look up my tweet <laughs> about it, that was my instant reaction. Holy F, you know, that. But yeah, I was like, whoa. And I saw that on my iPhone when I woke up, didn't even have my glasses on. And I was just <laughs> blown away by it. I had to watch it a couple of times after I, you know, I had my coffee. I was awake. I mentally took it in. And I was like, if this is only just a clip of that scene, holy crap, I cannot wait to see this on the big screen. It is what I imagined, but also... It's more than I imagine, if that makes any sense. It's the knee being the knee and the cinematography, the editing, the voice. And we heard some of the voice in the IMAX preview, but we didn't hear that voice for sure. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, of course, we, we heard uh, Paul attempt to use a voice, but then now to see someone who's basically been, been using it for like uh, 60, 70 years and has basically mastered it to perfection and seeing like th- that, that effect on, on the screen. Uh, Garen, what was your reaction to that, uh, that uh, clip? Yeah, I had the same early morning experience looking at my iPhone. I luckily had my headphones in and uh, I loved the effect. I loved the bass effect. And, you know, 
Paul just Timothy Chalamet hits his knees, right? Because the power of this of this voice. So I, I just love these types of effects and especially sound. I'm such a sound junkie that getting the voice right is pretty important to me. And I remember reading something about Rebe- Rebecca Ferguson said she didn't know how that would be done in the end after all the sound editing, but that it really meant a lot to Denis. He was really focused on making sure that it was done with a lot of power. And so, yeah, I just think it's fantastic. Yeah, I don't know, uh, Johnny, we were talking last week about the amount of uh, footage we were getting. Was was this like seeing this whole scene a surprise to you? <laughs> um, it was a little bit just because, I mean, it did catch me off guard. It was early in the morning and uh, over the weekend as well. Um, and uh, I mean, a pleasant surprise. Again, this is not, it really doesn't show a whole lot. Like you're getting just the barest, I think, exposure to it. But you're, you're still, I mean, if you're a fan of the books, I think this is going to like drive you crazy. I think you're in a good way. Because um, I know when we saw it in the theater uh, with the breakfast scene where Paul tries to use it, we I think everyone pretty much was a big fan of that from what I read. Um, and this to hear it in full effect, as you mentioned, is uh, is exciting. And it as Simon, Simon really put it well, like, and it really goes for everything that I think we have seen, or at least in my opinion, is it's like exactly what you expected, but also like more than you expected, like almost like better. Um, Cause I, you know, thinking about how they're going to do it, I was like, well, they could really, it could be cheesy. It could be kind of like, uh. and I think Denis was very cognizant of that as well. Um, and they, there's the sound design, the, the, the sound team is going to earn that Oscar <laughs> this year, I think. Um, Cause it is a very important part um, and a very like sound specific, multiple sound specific scenes where they're going to be using the voice. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're crushing it. And uh, it was fun to see. And I think this is really one of the, one of the few examples so far that's been released online where we get to see, you know, kind of like the guts of a scene. It's not getting totally chopped up. Like you're getting to see a decent like little chunk um, just to get the vibe of it. And I think it's, uh, it's promising. And it also is interesting to think about this in the context of the theatrical exclusive teaser that came out last year with Tenet about a year ago now. Um, Cause that, that highlighted this scene as well, the Gomsberg scene. Um, and it's, it does feel similar. It's again, hard to say because it is also still edited. Um, but I think, again, this is pretty close to the tone and like the feel of the movie and that's exciting. And uh, just can't, can't wait to see more. I, I do think we're going to get more full clips like this, or at least edited little snippets like this as we get closer to the movie, which will be cool. Also on a marketing sp- point of view, it's amazing because I feel like, it's showing you what Dune is, like the world of Dune, and showing you those fast little clips of his vision. And when you look at it, there's mm. only one shot that's new that we haven't seen. But it's also a good way of mentioning, hey, this guy has visions. This is what this is about. You know, I thought it was a good, like, little teaser. I was like, if this was the only teaser that we had for the past year before the IMAX experience, Sure, I would have been drooling over it a million times, but I felt like it was good. It got people's attention and also non-Dune fans, I feel like. And that wasn't the, the only teaser we got. Actually, uh, for Singapore, we got two other teasers. The The second one, uh, it started with that whole aspect of, uh, of Paul having visions. Uh, Paul opens, I had a vision, and then uh, Jessica, in her concerned voice, uh, what did you see? And I, I really liked the tone of voice of... Um, 
of Paul in that scene, like when he says, I had a vision, it really does sound like a, a teenager who's who's uncertain of like what, what's going on. Like these, these, these things are are happening to me. So I feel like he, he really has been nailing it in, in all the, the clips that, I, that I've heard uh, him, him say. Uh, Johnny, what was your takeaway from that second uh, Singapore trailer? Yeah, Singapore Warner Brothers branch has really uh, been been treating us, I guess. Um, yeah, it uh, it's a little bit more of the same, but just a, a few smaller snippets. Uh, a little bit more of Duncan, and then there's also um, like the sunset, like sunrise kind of shot. Um, whichever one it was, this one I liked a lot. There's also the, I think it was the Herald of the Change scene. I think we got like a little a snippet of that in there as well. Um, so you're de- we're definitely getting more exposure to some other thing, new, just new shots in general, like new like vantage points in certain shots. Um, and I also think this was the one where it had the um, the shot. I think it's Paul and Jessica like in the desert, um, and it they're on Dune and it's just Dunes, you know, for eternity. It seems like, and uh, it just the color and the the lighting of it. I said that I tweeted that it reminded me of Mark Simonetti's work, um, which again he's like my favorite Dune artist. Um, and so that was like the highest praise I gave. I was like, this is really, this is one of my favorite shots so far. It looks just right. Um, and I'm excited to see, you know, what sequence is that part of and just more of the desert, I think. Um, cause the stuff that we have seen from it is awesome, including the spice harvester scene and then the, the bits from the, the trailers and stuff and just being out there and knowing that they went, you know, in Jordan and Abu Dhabi and in California to go out and shoot. Um, just that, that I'm always a sucker for that. So this was a good one. Uh, Garen, what, what did you think about uh, this and the other Singapore trailers? Yeah, I, I'm just such a sucker for all the, the ornithopter shots. And there was another one, I think, in one of the Singapore shots mm-hmm. where it gets hit from the side and it's going down. And But, you know, all of those really intense uh, cuts aside, what I'm what I'm pleased about is that having read some other things about how Timothy really took this role very seriously. He read the book before he even uh, was was signed on. He wanted to make sure that he understood this character, Paul Atreides. So I'm I'm stoked with all these all these images, and and I like how the marketing people over there at Warner Brothers are they're giving us shots we've already seen, but then they give us a new one. Right? It's it's really good marketing. I get really excited, even though I've seen eighty percent of it before. It feels brand new to me again. So I like how they're doing that. But again, I'm I'm most excited about the fact that all of these great effect shots and intensity shots are going to be aligned with a character, and we're going to follow that character and watch that character grow and change. So, yeah, but keep it coming, Warner Brothers, because I love it. <laughs> yeah, uh, Simon, did, did you notice uh, in the scene with the golden armor uh, when when Paul's face is revealed that it actually looks different? Um, now compared to the trailer? No, I, I didn't. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to be noticing as I'm putting this together. What's the difference? Is it, are the eyes not blue anymore? Or uh, It seems like the, the, the face is colored, colored differently. It does seem that they've, they've done some additional work on the CGI. Uh, Johnny, did, did you notice that, the, the difference in the look? No, I I was probably just so caught up in all of the uh, the new stuff. I didn't wasn't really paying attention, but I have seen I have seen multiple people point that out. Um, I haven't gone back and looked myself, but I mean, well, you know, I said this when the trailer first came out. I mean, these things, anything that we see now is probably going to change to some degree. Like they they're always changing it, kind of like right up to the last second. At least in some respects, with the VFX, are always the last thing to be done. So that's the least surprising. But um, I mean, it's good. I mean, it's. I, 
again, people have had the uh, varying opinions about that section of it, but I never had an issue with it. So, so do you pretty much uh, feel that what we're seeing now in these in these recent teasers is the final final version of what we're seeing? I, I think so. I think yeah, the more recent stuff that we've gotten, like in the last week, for example, is definitely feels. You know, because because it is the premiere now and it is going to be in theaters, they're going to be have to be sending out like the files and stuff, um, you know, that that will be uh, pretty much the final bit, um, because literally two weeks from right now, people are going to be watching this in public, like in the theaters in your in Europe and, and such. So um, which is, again, wild. Um, and people have been. Uh, it's something I was going to mention on the show as well. I mean, people are actually buying tickets now and like they have a set date and time that they're going to go and, and watch it. So that's really exciting. And yeah, we're, this is it. I mean, they're done. Hey, Johnny, is there any chance that they could make last minute changes after the festival, after Venice, if they, if they get feedback or does it not work that way? You know, it, it depends on the festival and the, uh, the release, you know, the kind of the, the amount of, uh, a bumper that you have uh, i know like for example like once upon a time in hollywood that premiered at Cannes uh in you know may of 2019 and they were they were rushing to get it done to show at, at the festival and the, of course the film wasn't released until august so several months later um and what was shown at Cannes was not what they ended up like you know fully distributing there were slight changes um, and, and changes they made, you know, whether or not that was based on feedback or reviews or general response, who knows. Um, but given this very small window that they have now and because of the pandemic delay and how much time they've had to work on it and really refine it, I'd be, I, I would say there's pretty much no chance they're going to change anything based on the, the Venice situation. Cause then of course, then they go to TIFF um, and they go to New York. And, and so, yeah, it's uh, all happening now, I would say. Uh Simon, what I wanted to ask ask you is, uh, in the third Singapore trailer, we got to see more of the the Sardaukar. Like, uh, what what do you think of uh, of, of the, those new views? Once again, it's showing us a little bit of what we've seen, but like I would say, it's like milliseconds of something new. <laughs> it's opening up that appetite and showing us more. As Dune fans, we know what it is. Non-Dune fans are probably like, oh, it looks like the same thing that I've seen before. I, I'm, I'm loving everything I've seen. I haven't seen any shots at all from any of the promotional stuff, the IMAX stuff. I was actually thinking about this right now. That I'm like, oh, no, that, that didn't work for me. Everything is just perfectly aligned. And what's interesting is we've seen so many random clips. If you put all the clips together. I'm sure someone on YouTube is going to master timeline. Like this is where everything should line up, but we haven't seen that much of the movie. When you think about it, like minus the IMAX stuff, what's been out to the general public, there's maybe five minutes of a two and a half yeah. hour movie. <laughs> you know, it's, it's nothing. There's so much stuff that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. You know, when you look at like Duke Lito, I'm reading the Duke Lito book right now, so I'm on a big Duke Lito kick. <laughs> so when you think about it, we've seen clips of him, but we haven't seen any real interaction. We've seen the clip with him and Paul. Sure, you know, it's practically nothing. And Jessica, we haven't even seen anything of Jessica. Yeah. So that's a good point. I think, uh, you know, Simon's making, because I was, you know, 
I think this was as these two, the Singapore ones, especially were coming out in the last few days. I was on discord and people were like, like, Oh God, like they're going to show the whole movie or like, Oh, I, you know, I, I need to stop watching this. And I was like, honestly, and I, a lot of them of course didn't have the opportunity to go to the IMAX event as you know, we did um, unfortunately. And like, again, I've seen a lot of stuff for this already. And it's like, you really haven't seen anything. I mean, I, for someone, even myself who has seen so much, I feel like I haven't seen anything because, you know, I thought going to the IMAX thing, I'd be like, oh God, I feel like they showed too much, but no, not really. And even now I'm still watching this and be like, oh man, I just, and, and, and because the promotional stuff, I mean, you could say the same thing about Blade Runner 2049, which was another, you know, big budget Villeneuve film, you know, the trailers did not do that movie justice. Like they did not do the, like the tone was, you know, the pacing of it, like Villeneuve, I think more than any other filmmaker right now. And like, this is something I've really like focused on a lot. Like with him is he's incredibly like atmospheric, like as a filmmaker, you can't really get a sense of the work in a, outside the context of the movie, you know, a trailer can be really good. And I think the trailers have been really good. And I think these clips have been really good. Um, but that's not what the movie is really like. It's, it's a piece of it, but it's not the movie or the exact feel of it. And I think that's, you know, they, they can keep rolling these things out every week and I'm going to, I'm going to keep watching them. So like what Johnny was saying about Blade Runner 2049, and we haven't even talked about this. You know what I mean? Like, I love that movie. (laughs) When you rewatch those trailers, you don't know what the twist is with that movie. No, no. And I, I wonder for non Dune fans, if they understand some clips, if they're just watching it out of the blue, not listening to us or other shows or whatever, and being like, hmm, okay, I think this is what happened, but it isn't. Yeah, I rewatched the trailers for 2049 the other day. If you if you know the twist, you see it, but if not, you can't tell. And that's great marketing. Because I hate watching a trailer, six cents. I see dead people right away. And then you see a, a shot of Bruce Willis. You're like, ah, that's kind of lined up. That's weird. <laughs> I hate a trailer that gives me the whole movie instantly. I was going to say, you guys, um, your comment about how the trailer, we may think we're getting too much information. We're seeing too much of the film. You know, at the IMAX uh, preview that we all went to, I was amazed at that breakfast scene because suddenly I was taken out of kind of a mode of seeing all these quick cut action sort of trailer images. And I was suddenly sitting with them at the table at breakfast and seeing Jessica and Paul interact. And that was the atmosphere that you were talking about, um, mm-hmm. Johnny, that, that suddenly I'm in it, I'm living it, I'm breathing it with them. And that's what you don't necessarily get in these, in these trailers. In fact, these Singapore trailers are moving so fast. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost like a subliminal test. You don't even know if you've <laughs> seen it or not. And you have to go back and, and look at it and, and pause it to see what you've missed. So I think that's a great point. They, they really can't give us too much. I mean, this movie's uh, you know over two hours long, right? It's it's going to be plenty to absorb. And and what they're just showing us, I think, is just getting us excited. I'm I'm not worried about them showing too much. Yeah, and in this uh, third Singapore trailer, we we actually got like one really key moment, at least for, for me, that stood out, which was uh, which connected a couple of things that we had seen bits and pieces, which was the research station. So we actually saw the, the mm. first time, like seeing uh, uh, Paul, Lady Jessica, Leah Kynes together in the research uh, station. And then we see that, that scene with Duncan uh, coming in front, like uh, that's obviously 
before the fight with the Sardaukar coming to protect them. So now it's all sort of coming together. Uh, like I, I'm so excited about that scene. Like I think uh, like we haven't seen that much. Like as we're saying, we've only seen bits and pieces. Uh, but like uh, you know, with, with this, the ships coming uh, from the sky ent entering it, like the, the Sardaukar uh, descending from the from the sky with their suspensors uh, approaching, and then like that fight with with Duncan taking on like all these dozen Sardaukar by himself like I just can't uh, can't wait to see that that scene <laughs> yeah it's a great point I I noticed those right away and those really stuck out to me um because a lot of those shots are Duncan or at least Duncan really in, in that that sequence and uh yeah I loved I really loved that first shot the one you mentioned where it's like like this really deep focus to where they're in the back in that room and then Duncan just like steps into the frame and like fills it up like He's a shield, like, and that's something they talk. It's in the book. I mean, there's a quote, you know, where he says, uh, "You know, I don't need a shield. I have you." And so, uh, yeah, that, it's going to be good. I can't wait for that one. That one actually felt like a Duncan highlight spot, and I thought we were going to get more as the week went by of different characters. But maybe Jason's a big deal in Singapore, and maybe that's how they're marketing it. I think Jason is a big focus of this film, you guys. I. I feel like I've seen more of Jason than anyone. And I luckily I'm a fan. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it feels like it's almost too much emphasis on him because if I understand it correctly, this movie is about Paul. It's about his hero's journey. Right. But it kind of makes me wonder if that isn't leading into future movies. Right. Because those of us that have read the books know the significance of Duncan. Right. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it would be smart. It would be introducing Duncan more than the 84 movie. So recently, yeah. um, I adopted a, a pug, and his name was Chunks. I was like, no, I'm not calling him <laughs> Chunks. So Duncan's my favorite character. And with all the hype going around, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to call him Duncan Idaho. And I was showing my girlfriend the 84 <laughs> version, and she's like, that's it? That's all he's in it? I'm like, yep. <laughs> like, you blink, you miss Duncan. Yep. The sci-fi show, he looks like something out of Lord of the Rings. But for people that have read the further books without going to full spoilers, maybe it is smart showing Duncan and why Duncan is so crucial. And and last thing I'll say on that is I agree. Yeah, they're definitely leaning into Duncan more. And I think even people have asked, like pointed out, it almost seems like because Duncan is such a significant character and Villeneuve himself has said in interviews that he has had to take certain characters from, you know, the first half of the book, for, for example, and kind of, decrease their roles a little bit or like their position in the story knowing and hoping that in part two they're going to re-emerge and he can spend more time with them um and re-establish connections or re-establish uh you know certain characters um yeah and i think the fact that it is duncan makes it you know logical and it's jason momoa who is a big name and a big star and a big draw um and but yeah no to that point as well i think it is it is a good amount, but I don't think they're going to, uh, they're going to overdo it at all. And I think even thinking about the opening scene in the movie, you know, they mentioned, you know, the, the art, art of the film, the book that the inside cover, whatever it is, is Duncan like arriving on Arrakis, which was supposed to be the beginning of the movie. And now we've seen the beginning of the movie. It's not Duncan. So that just goes to show, well, maybe we wanted to do something more with Duncan or we had an idea but they're like, no, let's stick to this. Or like, let's change it to this. And I think that's just showing that they're not, they don't feel, or at least Villeneuve doesn't feel like obligated to it, you know, any particular character more than, you know, maybe Paul, for example. And the, the final 
like a couple of seconds that, that really stood out in, in these trailers that came up in the Singapore uh, trailer too, as well as the Argentina trailer, is that we have that uh, that line from from uh, from Chani. And without going to spoilers, it's a very important line where she's saying, "This is only the beginning," and mm-hmm. I think that that's referring to to a lot of uh, uh, different things. But like n- now, we sort of get that that context. Like uh, we we see um, in the Argentina trailers, especially as well, that that they're like walking into into the desert uh, with with Chani mentioning that that line. Um, Garen, did, did you have any other takeaways from from that specifically, or anything else from these trailers? You know, honestly, Marcus, I missed that. I I did not catch that uh, line from her. And no, I my thought again just goes back to um, I I really think the more they do these small trailers, and I'm glad they're doing them worldwide. The more you're gonna you're gonna have a chance to capture people who are on on the edge. You know, I have, I have, uh, I have friends. I even have some of my kids who they haven't read the book. They're hearing about it. You know, they're going to go see this because of Zendaya and because of Timothy. But, but they they just don't quite know what they're getting themselves into. And they mentioned, hey, I saw one of those trailers on Twitter. You know, I've seen some stuff on social media. Dang, that looks cool. Like, I think I want to go see that. You know, I think I think this is a really good strategy. And they're not revealing too much, but you see these images that are so foreign, but yet then you see these characters that pull you in. So, you know, I, I really think this is a smart way to go. And, and I like how they just keep kind of rolling these out. And of course, they know we're all going to watch every other country's, you know, uh, trailer. So every time they do it, they're really getting the whole world every time they release one. So yeah, keep them coming. I think they're great. <laughs> And uh, Johnny, I think you know what that line is is re- referring to. But what was your uh, your takeaway from seeing more of that scene? Yeah, I don't want to say too much about that, but it it's exciting, and I I was kind of surprised in retrospect to see it. Um, but it, again, in the context of the trailer, you really don't have context because it's a trailer, <laughs> so um, it works. And I think Johnny, she's going to be awesome. Um, Villeneuve has just been like crazy praising her recently and Chalamet just had an interview where he was talking about like what a powerhouse Zendaya is and um, you know her, her presence on set and how she kind of showed up a couple months into the production and really like invigorated him and really kind of like took him by surprise so um, yeah I, I'm excited and I think she's gonna have a strong presence in the movie regardless of how many minutes she's actually in it. Yeah. yeah. Simon any last thoughts on the trailers? Give me more. Give me more. Give me, give me the same scenes with a little bit more. Yeah, I think we're we're definitely going to be seeing uh, seeing more before the before the week is over, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's jump to our second story for today. So uh, this Monday, we we actually got our. Um, uh, IMAX exclusive uh, poster. So of course, when when he saw the IMAX event, we got that that uh, uh, really cool looking poster with uh, with the, the dunes and like Tani uh, uh, Paul walking across the the sands. And now we got a sort of a similar approach, but now with with Paul more more prominent. So I know that uh, Simon probably you'll you'll still have some comments on the on the color, uh, but in terms of the the overall appearance of the poster, how, how do you think this this fares as as a promotion for the movie? So it's not Listerine green; it's more Mountain Dew Baja green. <laughs> um, I like it. Yeah, I have issues with the colors, but whatever. I love. 
just Xiaomi walk-in desert in your face, big font, IMAX, showing you, you know, this is a special poster. It's not the one sheet that's out for the normal release. Minus mm. the color, I, I love it. Aaron, do you have a preference on between this poster and the main poster? Yeah, I, I actually like, it's probably not as good of marketing, but I actually like just seeing uh, Paul out on the desert because, again, like I keep saying, this really is his story. And I like that simplicity. You know, the one with all the faces, I realize that's an important uh, strategy for marketing, but I, I don't relate as well. It's a little, a little overwhelming. Um, it does introduce you to the characters, but because the story, I know the story, I know, I know, you know, how this is going to go, but to have it focused on Paul to me is, is important. So, but I'm with Simon. I actually really like that one that we got. Maybe it's because I have it, but we got it that <laughs> IMAX screening because again, that's the simplicity one too, but it kind of has this dual design, you know, where it kind of, you look, he's on the desert and you're looking down on that, but it also looks like the planet. So it's really cool. That's my favorite. Yeah, John, looking at the two IMAX posters that, that we've got, and do you believe that there's a certain rationale to, to why they've, they've gone with these designs, specifically for IMAX? Yeah, well, as, as we've been saying, or at least Garen pointed out, I think that that one is the best one, like at least from an artistic and like visual standpoint, I think it is the most stunning and interesting design. Um, and it doesn't, it, the thing about it and the, with these big movies and why we always get those big floating head posters is because you have to sell people on the movie. You have to get them interested based on who's in it, um, what they look like and all that. So uh, yeah, you know, I can't argue with that, but because they know, Hey, the people coming to this event are, they're committed for one thing, but also a lot of them are fans probably, um, and already familiar with it. We don't need to sell them with, a, you know, something covered in the actor's faces. You know, we can just do something different, um, a little bit more ar artistic, if you will. Um, so yeah, that's definitely my favorite and still the best one. I've still got to get a small frame together or something to put it up. But uh, yeah, I like this one. I like it a lot. Um, the colors, I think uh, uh, Simon, <laughs> the Baja Blast comparison is funny. Um, but yeah, it works. I think for these IMAX posters, they typically just want to show off. Um, you know, they don't, they want to do something a little bit different from the, the typical poster, but not like crazy different. I think removing all the the excess and just keeping Paul in the desert. I think that's kind of the go-to. I think we could all agree. If there's one thing you're going to put on the poster, put the desert and put Paul, like you don't really need a whole lot else. Um, you know, maybe they could have thrown in maybe a sandworm or an ornithopter or something, but then that's a whole lot of other things going on. So um, no, I, I dig it. I think people have liked it. Yeah, I just love the simplicity. And I'm thinking about the comments that uh, Villeneuve made himself about uh, Paul, that he's he's carrying a heavy weight on, on his shoulders. And like when you look at that that photo and you see him like walking all alone in this huge uh, mm. uh, environmental like of, of the desert and seeing the two moons on the background and he's walking on these spice rich sounds, but he's he's looking down and you can just feel that that burden, I guess, as he's called uh, to this this new situation, like he's been, as as I mentioned in one of the synopses, like he's been living in privilege for for fifteen years, and now he's he's called to lead and stand up and and fight, and like he he's he's definitely uh, definitely feeling that. You know, Marcus, I I love this phrase "filmed for IMAX." I'm sure they've used that on other on other films, but um, I I love the fact that they're really emphasizing that because you know I know I've said it too often, but this film 
is made to be seen on an IMAX. And I, I just want to make sure that everybody realizes that because that's the experience he's wanting us to have. And so to have, you know, these big IMAX words right behind Paul, you know, as he's on the desert, um, I, I love that. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, Garen. I think I, I said something I noticed too, whether it was on Twitter or, or Facebook or whatever else. Yeah. People were like, yeah, the, the comments are like, yeah, I'm seeing this in IMAX. Like, no, I'm not really gonna, I wouldn't even consider watching another way. So I think that's always encouraging. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the Venice Film Festival in a, in a minute, but um, in, in terms of the first opportunity to see this in movie in the full uh, IMAX experience, that, that's also going to be coming, coming quite quickly. Basically the, the, the weekend after Venice on uh, on the 11th of September and the 12th of September, there will be the first uh, showings in the Toronto International Film Film Festival. Uh, so on Saturday, there will be one press screening, one public screening, and um, then throughout the week, they'll have uh, four additional um, screenings and tickets will be available for um, for members uh, this Saturday at, on the 4th and uh, for general public on Monday the 6th, but I expect that they're going to go really quickly. So if you're planning to head over Toronto or there's one showing in Montreal as, as well, uh, then you'll have to act uh, act quickly on, on those days. Um, Johnny, in terms of what should we expect out of uh, Toronto International Film Festival? Like it's, it's not going to be the world premiere, but of course it's the first time it's showing on IMAX. Would you expect mm -hmm. we're going to get additional like media coverage around that? Any new insights? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting because it is the first time anyone is going to see it, uh, at least in a public setting like that in IMAX. And uh, I'm sure Villeneuve will be there because um, that he's a, uh, it's not his hometown, but he is Canadian. And uh, and they are actually going to have a special screening in uh, Montreal. And I think that's going to be cool. Um, I'm sure he probably had something to do with that. So uh, yeah, I think it'll be really nice. It'll be cool because that's going to add a, a, just a little extra flavor to any reactions and reviews coming out of Toronto, uh, you know, by contrast with the Venice situation where um, they have great venues there in Venice. They have really big, you know, auditoriums and, you know, a thousand plus people are going to be at the premiere. Uh, well, depending on the capacity situation, but um, IMAX, it, it's just a completely different, I mean, it's like the best, you know, venue for that in all of Canada. So um, that'll definitely be a thing, something they emphasize a little bit more. Um, and I'll be curious to hear, uh, well, that, that'll really be when we get solid details about, oh, well, which scenes were in which aspect ratio and how long do you think and do you think it was used well and kind of all that nitty gritty stuff. Um, and we'll see if anything else accompanies that, whether it be, you know, a little surprise like this poster or something they could have held until like next week, for example, just because of the timing that you mentioned. But uh, I, I'm more than happy to get it now. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that when it comes. So let's uh, jump to our third uh, movie news topic, which is the Venice Film Festival. So probably by the time you're watching this, uh, we'll be hearing the first uh, reviews coming out of uh, out of that. So uh, really exciting uh, time. And uh, we are going to have a special episode just talking about the Venice uh, Film Festival and its uh, entirety, all the all the reactions and reviews that come out from, from the media and, and viewers. Uh, so let me start with you, uh, Johnny. What, what can we basically expect on, on Friday? uh for in terms of dune <laughs> <laughs> uh it's gonna be pandemonium i would imagine <laughs> um like i said it's i said this last week i said in a week from now it'll be you know the premiere and the reactions and it's gonna be like peak film twitter i mean people are gonna be losing it um because you're gonna have all the film journalists and critics 
are going to be either they, they've probably seen it and will be tweeting out their review. They'll be tweeting out their thoughts across all different platforms, you know, European and American. Um, and not only are you going to have those people, but you're also going to have the fans that paid for passes to go and see it at Venice. I mean, I've seen several uh, accounts, fan accounts for whether it's Chalamet or Dune in general, they've said, yeah, I'm going, like I got a pass. And we've had people on the, the Dune Reddit say, yeah, I got to go. I'm going, uh, you know, I'm going to see it Saturday or Friday. Um, so it's going to be a very diverse pool of, of responses. You're going to have the fan, uh, pure fan reaction. Then you're going to have, you know, the most astute film critic you can imagine giving their opinion on. Then you're going to have more accessible people writing on it. So it's going to be a wide variety. Um, and of course, the really the, the calm before the storm of all that is also going to be, we're going to have like a press conference that morning. Um, it'll be early in the morning on East Coast time, at least in the US. So it'll be like 6.45, I think. Um, and so that'll be with at least a Villeneuve. And then I think the cast will also be in attendance. They'll have answer questions from the press. Um, and then an hour before the premiere begins, which I think will be around 11.45 a.m. Uh, East Coast time in the U.S., they'll have the red carpet. And as we've already heard through Variety and through Deadline Hollywood, it's going to be pretty much, they're bringing out like everyone, like the big guns, like it's going to be like 10 plus cast members and then Villeneuve himself. And, you know, Tanya Lapointe, his his wife is going to be there and and uh, Donald Mowit's going to be there, the hair and makeup designer that we mentioned earlier, you know, I was talking about earlier. So um, yeah, it's, it's going to be everyone. I think uh, a lot of people are already excited about when I tweeted about this, I think it was yesterday when Deadline reported it. I said the 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 red carpet looks must flow because, I mean, Chalamet is very well known for like his red carpet like looks, and Zendaya, of course, is like not only one of the most famous people but most fashionable people, at least like in the film industry. She's always getting you know uh, you know Met Gala and things like that, getting a lot of attention. Which speaking of which, Met Gala is supposed to be in a couple of weeks, so that'll be another great opportunity for them to plug the film. I think Chalamet is actually hosting it, so that'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, and then Jason Momoa, Oscar Isaac, Rebecca Ferguson, people are going to be going nuts, uh, all the, the fans and the stands and whatnot. So it'll be, uh, it'll be a big buildup all day. And then after those reviews and reactions come out, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be overwhelming, but then we just got to digest it and read and whatever the results may be, uh, it'll be, at least we'll know to some degree what people think. Yeah. And in, in terms of questions to the cast, actually the, the Dune official Twitter account did like do a tweet asking for, for questions. So it, it could be that that's going to be one of the ones at Venice or maybe they're, they're pre-recording an, an interview. So we should see something about that. Um, yeah, Garen, what are you most hoping to hear on, on Friday? Well, obviously I want, I want it to, to be raving reviews. Johnny, one question I had is, I'm a psychology major and I, I remember this dynamic of opinion bias where because everything happening around you is is excitement and and you know attention around this film is there a way or are you able to kind of divine out who's giving you the the real straight story or or is everyone really being honest when they're in the middle of the excitement of this film festival? How does that work? Well, that's, that's a great question. Um, and typically I will say with film festivals, it's, it's a, cause it's a bubble. Like you're, you're existing in, in the room you're existing with, you know, depending if you're at the premiere or something like that with the actual people who made the movie. Um, and you're kind of in awe of that. 
Uh, and then also you have uh, the bubble of the festival itself. You're seeing all these movies. And fortunately, Dune has the benefit of being very early on in the festival. It's just starting. This is something I mentioned a few weeks ago, but you would much rather have your film premiere early on in the first couple of days than in the middle or towards the end, because by the end, everyone who is there is exhausted. <laughs> like, I mean, the, fil the film festivals I've done, I attended for like two, three days and I had, I was in a very comfortable setup and everything. And I was ready to like fall asleep and, and die <laughs> during some of the later screenings. So um, yeah, we're there in a good spot there. And I think in general, as I mentioned, as far as the bubble, yeah, you do tend to, you know, some people, they really just, they're really uh, hype something up and are hyperbolic about their descriptions and their reviews and their rating and, and all their thoughts. And then the movie comes out and people are like, what the hell were you talking about? Like, this is not any even close to what you had hyped it up to be. Um, but I, I do think Dune is a, in a bit of an exception because for the simple fact, it has been so hyped up. <laughs> like for years now, this movie has been looked forward to. And I think truly it it's going to have to be, and I'm not saying this is a negative, but like if people are gushing about it, especially the critics, the critics who are paid and they they don't have really any stake in the game. Like they're just covering the festival. It's different from, you know, being invited to attend a premiere or something to that effect or a press screening. Um, they can really say what they want because they're getting paid regardless. And it doesn't really say anything about them. Um, I think that if the reviews are really like overwhelmingly positive, I think that's like a legitimate good sign because I think if it's anything kind of, you know, tep tep tepid, like in the middle, kind of like, ah, oh, like I liked it. I had issues or, you know, something to that degree. I think that's, that's pretty much honest because they have that expectations are so sky high at this point, you would really have to be blown away to be like, Oh wow, this actually lived up to everything that I had heard and everything I was expecting. And, and uh, that, and I felt this, I felt very similarly, you know, we're talking about the IMAX preview a lot, but going to that, like, we're all big fans. I'm a big fan of Villeneuve and I've been looking forward to this forever. And we hadn't really, that was the first ex real exposure we got to it since the trailer came out, which was almost a year ago at that point or 10 months ago. And I remember going to it and I was just like, we, you know, we're waiting there for like two hours in advance and I'm sitting there and I just drove like five hours to see this 20 minutes of footage. And I'm just like, I mean, I was so anxious. I've never been so anxious going into a movie a theater, like in an auditorium like that. And I was just like, all this waiting, all this driving, I've been hyping it up. Like if I'm not blown away, I'm going to look like, like an idiot. Like I'm going to be like, I'm going to be so disappointed. And I'm first and foremost going to be the most blunt about it just because, you know, I'm going to be the most critical because I have hyped it up so much. I'm not going to be like, Oh, uh, whatever. Um, and I just remember, I mean, sitting down when that came on, like, I mean, I, I mean, I was tearing up. Like I, I was just completely blown away by what we saw <laughs> So if the final movie is like cohesive and like, you know, just anything above good, like, I, and anything close to what we saw, I would just be, you know, I think it'll be good. And I think people will respond to it, you know, appropriately instead of kind of blowing something out of proportion. Um, but again, as we talked about this earlier, and I think it was, it was you, you were saying how you were just sweating and like really anxious about this. And I'm, you know, I have been so like bullish on this film for years now and really just like really talking it up. Like I, I have been, I've never once doubted like this, the quality of this movie, but now that we are like hours away, like I am getting like, you know, I'm like, I really hope that this movie just lives up to the hype. But at the end of the day, 
the reviews are the reviews and there are different people's opinions, different perspectives. You just kind of have to take them at face value, like what they are. And then also read into them and read, read the reviews beginning to end and just kind of see the nuances. It's kind of easy to get bogged down, you know, with critic, you know, culture these days, you have Rotten Tomatoes and you have Metacritic and like these aggregate things that just kind of distill it down to numbers kind of lose a lot of the nuance in those situations. So as much as I want Dune to pop out and be like, oh, the first 25 reviews, it has 100%. Like on Rotten Tomatoes, everyone's just raving about it. Like, I want to read the reviews. I want to see like, what are they saying exactly? What, what do they like? What do they maybe not like? Um, and I think that's just what I would encourage everyone to do when it comes to these things is really just get a good feel for it and take the time, read them if you can. And, and uh, don't like have a strong gut reaction to uh, any one thing or any one reaction or response. Um, if 25 of the critics, you know, just as a random number, love it or think it's amazing. And then three of them are like, eh, I didn't really like it. Or I thought it was bad. Like don't, don't get riled up by a few people or like, you know, something like that and really focus in and be like, Oh, why are they saying this? Um, you know, just take it for what it is and, and then move on from there. But uh, you know, cause at the end of the day, everyone's own experience is their own experience. I, I really find it hard to believe I'm not going to love this movie. Um, you know, regardless, everyone else could probably dislike it. And I'd be like, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um, Cause I've definitely been in those scenarios before. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's really going to be interesting because as, as I've said and, and emphasized, it's a very large pool of people, not just at Venice, but people who have seen it in the United States and will be able to uh, tweet their thoughts and, and post reviews and that kind of thing. You know, you guys, I hope that if the reviews are about the story and about the characters and about the story that we're all familiar with and that we like so much, and not just focused on, you know, only, you know, these pieces and parts that make the film, you know, the music, the mm-hmm. effects, the, if, if the focus is this story was compelling, I was drawn into this alien world, I was taken out of my real life and uh, suspended my, my disbelief. To me, that's kind of the biggest compliment of all, because I think that's what Denis is going for here. He, he wants us to believe this is a real place and to really feel it. So like Johnny was saying, you want to show your product first. Like I used to do comic book journalism. And when I went to San Diego Comic-Con, by the end of that convention, you're exhausted. You don't remember (laughs) what you saw last, but you remember what you saw first. So you want to make that first good impression. Um, Reviews are so tricky because we can take four of us. We'll all have different point of views on something. Like, I'm a big Star Wars nerd, okay? As much as I love Dune, Star Wars is maybe second. I hate Rogue One. I think Rogue One's horrible. But when I tell that to people, they're like, how can you? It's Star Wars. It's awesome. This is, I'm like, I just don't care. But then you get someone else that's like, oh, it's the greatest movie ever. So I say read reviews, but also read reviews that you trust the person. You know, if it's a critic that you follow, and be like, okay, I agree with this person 90% of the time. I don't, I agree with everyone. I also don't want to hear, oh, the visual effects were amazing. That was the best part of the film. No, I want to hear, <laughs> I fell in love with these characters. I was taken away. When I saw the IMAX preview, I was totally taken away. I wanted to believe I was on Caledon. I wanted to be, believe I was on Arrakis. You know, we're going back to the breakfast scene. 
the breakfast scene. I felt like I was buying into like a little conversation with two people. I felt super awkward. I was like, oh crap, are they going to see me spying in their house? But you want to trust the critic. And also you don't want, like you said, 25 critics are like, oh my God, it's the greatest thing ever. We love this. And then you have that one person. Is it one in body and one in mind? Is everyone agreeing because it's trending on Twitter? Trust the critics that you trust, you know. And also, let's not forget, some amazing movies did not get great reviews at first. One of the greatest movies, I think, Blade Runner, the original. Everyone hated that movie. Everyone hated Fight Club when when it first came out. And now people rave about Fight Club. So trust the critics and also have your own point of view. You know, if it... If there's stuff that I don't like about it, I'll be the first one to come on here and be like, hey, you know that scene? Denis, come on. What were you thinking? What were you guys thinking? Be honest with your feelings. I think that's the most important part. And listen or trust people that you agree with. Yeah. And that, that's a I mean, last thing I'll say about it is that's a really great point by Simon. And, and one thing that has been sticking in my head recently, just because it's a possibility, is uh, I remember... When 2049 came out, um, I just remember, I so vividly remember that day when the reviews came out for that because I'd been looking forward to it. And I just got back from class and like went up to my dorm room and I was just on my bed, like scrolling through. I was like, holy, like these people are like going crazy about this movie. I was like, this is beyond anything I was hoping for. Um, and so I was really excited. And then I went to the theater and I just, I, I mean, I was completely enraptured for that entire movie, almost three hours. And I walked out like I was in like a daze, like I couldn't believe it. Um, it was just better than people had even said, but I remember, I think it was IndieWire. They have a couple of critics that they use. I think Eric Cohn is one of them. And I think the other one, D- David Ehrlich, who's quite well known. Um, and who is a critic that I genuinely do not like or agree with uh, about anything. Um, and he may have seen the movie already. He might've seen Dune. He might be writing a review. They might both be writing different ones. It's possible. I'll definitely be keeping up with him when these drop, but, uh, I remember looking on Letterboxd because he's really prevalent on there as well. And he, he was not really a fan of the movie. Like he gave it a very, he gave it like a three out of five, I think, um, which isn't exactly negative, but he was very mixed on it. Um, and you know that he's, he has a huge platform and he's probably the biggest critic on, on Twitter film Twitter at least. Um, so, you know, back then if he had come out, you know, he came out with his review and tweet, he was like, eh, wasn't all that Villeneuve. He's, you know, he's a good filmmaker, but I didn't care about the movie. Um, if he were to do that on Friday. Okay. Like I, I respect it. I hear you. That may be, but I just, I know given his past and like what he thought about one of my, what might be my favorite movie of all time, we're probably not going to align with this. So, you know, for example, if he gives an even worse review than he gave 2049, probably be like, okay, so maybe this movie isn't as good as that one. Or I might, might get, like it, like it a little bit less. If he gives it a review that's even better than, than 2049, I'd be like, I better wear a diaper to the, to the theater when I go to see it. But like, that's just a great example and, and, and something to keep in mind, as Simon said. Everyone has different point of views. Like one of my other friends is named Johnny also. Big film guy. Like me and him love bad horror movies. Like that's our thing <laughs> together, right? But he hates Aaron Sorkin. He's like, I hate those movies because all they do is walk and talk. But I'm a sucker for those movies. Like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is an amazing movie to me. And for him, it's just like, well, I hate that movie. There's nothing going on. So you never know. Someone might also be jet lag and be like, I got to Venice a couple hours before the premiere. I'm tired. I didn't sleep well, you know. So I think the most important 
review is the one that you give yourself when you see the movie. The Duneverse. Books, comics, games, collectibles, and more. We have one expanded news story, and that's um, the uh, collection Sands of Dune. So actually, this was first announced at uh, Comic-Con at home uh, late July, uh, but we didn't get much details. We just heard it was going to be an anthology of Dune stories that was coming out in 2022. Uh, but over the past week or so, a couple more things have been revealed. It's been listed on Amazon and available for pre-order. And this week, we got the, the cover uh, for Sands of Dune. And that's uh, illustrated by Matt Griffin. So he's uh, been also uh, doing several of the other Dune covers, including the, the currently on, ongoing um, uh, Caledon uh, trilogy that's, that's being uh, written by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson. Uh, so basically, Sands of Dune is going to collect three, uh, three different stories. Um, two of them have already been released, but uh, in separate uh, anthology uh, collections. So we, we had... Um, uh, Blood of the Sardaukar, which we reviewed the comic, uh, uh, Simon, you wrote a review like a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so that's going to be included here. And then we have um, the, the Waters of Conley, and that's a, a story that's going to focus on Gurney Halleck, also during the events of the original Dune. Uh, but the most interesting um, uh, story that, that's going to be included here is a brand new story uh, that's going to focus on a Fremen uh, guerrilla fighter in the... Um, in the decades before uh, the events of, of Dune, and it's re revealed that it's going to be uh, the story about uh, shout out Mapes. So that's going to be really interesting to see see her full backstory about how she was a guerrilla fighter going against the, the Harkonnens. And given the the page count of that book, it seems like it's going to be uh, definitely a novella size. So uh, so a substantial story in there. Um, I'll check with you, Garen. Have you heard about this news and like? Are you looking forward to this collection? Yeah, uh, I, I just read through this this morning, um, and and I again, I'm I'm such a fan of the Dune universe that uh, you know Brian is the is the heir apparent of, of expanding this universe, right? So um, I, I was a little disappointed it's not coming out till till later next year, but um, yeah, I mean, shout out Mapes is a character that was a lot more significant to me in the in the in the book than than what we've seen on the screen so far, so. Going into that backstory, uh, I think is a great idea. Uh, you know, similar to the uh, the Sardaukar backstory that that you know we get to explore not only a character but also that you know that house, uh, Harkonnens, and, and be able to explore that more deeply. So, no, I for fans, I think this is great stuff. I mean, uh, I'm I'm glad they're they're actually novella sized because I think sometimes you can go too far taking a character and expanding it too much. Um, but but doing it uh, in a in a relatively easy to read format, I think is 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 going to be great. I think fans will really love that. And again, I'm I'm just counting on the fact that a lot of people who aren't Dune fans are going to become enraptured with this universe, and they're going to want to learn more about it. They're going to want to understand the backstory. They're going to want to delve deeper into this universe. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this. Simon, are you excited about this new novella? I think it's a great thing to have short little stories, little highlights on each character. And that cover is just gorgeous. So I've already pre-ordered it. It'll be in my bag so I can read it at lunchtime. And uh, Johnny, so I know that you're still reading the original series right now. Like when you hear about these expanded short stories, comics, is that something that you're thinking, okay, I'm going to delve into that eventually? Or is it uh, too much for you? <laughs> 
Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to finish Messiah right now. Uh, and I really, really love it. I'm kind of surprised by how much I love it. Uh, so I in, intend to continue on to, uh, the next one and see where we go from there. As far as the non Frank Herbert ones, um, I know there's a lot of opinion about that, uh, that I really am not privy to all the, the nuances of, uh, I probably won't uh pursue those as much uh, you know at least right now um but you know i think it's great that they are continuing to uh you know in, you know to some degree or another flesh it out and and tell more stories and because it is such a big rich universe um and it's at you know the right time when a lot of people are becoming interested so um you know more dune good yeah, I think the appeal specifically for this collection is that it is basically set all around the first book. So it expands the events that people are going to see on screen, like the Blood of the Sardaukar comic that really added some some depth to uh, uh, to the attack on the on Eric Keen as well. So we get an interesting appearance from uh, from both Duke Leto and Duck in Idaho. So if, if these other stories uh, do the same thing, uh, I think that will, will be interesting. The Landsraad High Council is now in session. So, uh, Johnny, so I know that you recently wrote uh, a feature, uh, basically your your early awards predictions uh, ahead of the the season. And although Dune isn't going to be debuting in competition at, at Venice, it's still the, the start of the award season. So, I wanted to hear hear from you. I know that uh, you uh, you predicted a certain amount of nominations and and wins uh, for Dune. So, tell us about your your thoughts. Yeah, so it's uh, it's that time of year with a lot of people that do keep up with this kind of stuff. And really, I think it's important. Like, it's just like anything else. It's almost like fantasy football. Like, uh, you know, for if anyone who plays that, which I do um, and have for years, this is really just it's for fun to kind of like predict and forecast what you think is going to happen just based on like limited knowledge. Because, again, it's really sight unseen on all these films because we, I haven't seen any of them. Um, and, and most people haven't, and most people won't, uh, until later in the year, much later in the year in some instances. So, um, but it is fun to, uh, to predict. And I mean, I, I tweeted in January, 2020, I was like, and this was last, this was before the pandemic even existed. I was like, you know, I could really see a scenario where, you know, Dune, Dune plays kind of like a, like a Lord of the Rings type, uh, you know, prestige kind of blockbuster picture as far as awards like Oscars or Fury Road is another example from recent years. Um, and and I wrote actually wrote a piece for Next Best Picture at around that time where I was kind of explaining my rationale and how things were lining up and why I thought it, it might make sense. Um, and now it's, uh, you know, 20 months later and I feel like I was kind of ahead of the curve in a lot of respects because now, of course, you go look at Gold Derby, which is this hub where a lot of film writers and critics and reporters and film fans and, and people who do this kind of stuff all predict and, and make their predictions. And you, you're going to find Dune in uh, basically every single one of those, whether it's for best picture, whether it's for, uh, you know, adapted screenplay or director, Villeneuve will be in there. Um, right now he has, I want to say his fourth best odds right now to win. Um, and Dune is of course, like right in the middle. There's going to be 10 best picture nominees and it's like right around five or six so yeah, I I think it's really funny how it's kind of panned out, and I know I just know that uh, it, people have kind of come around on that. And now knowing what we know about the film festival situation, because when I wrote that, the film festivals were not even a factor. Like that was not in in 
even in, in my mind, really. Um, and now, of course, it's going to Venice, it's going to TIFF, it's going to New York, which is, I mean, those are huge um, festivals in and of themselves. But then when you string them together as they are, it says a lot about the the potential quality and, and the bullishness of the people involved. Um, because, you know, these festivals don't have to accept these films. Like, they choose them, you know, for reasons. And, uh, I, you know, Warner Brothers, who is behind, in part, behind Dune, you know, they had Gravity, for example, which is a big special effects driven, um, you know, sci-fi film that came out almost 10 years ago now. And that movie got like 10, 11 Oscar, Oscar nominations and it premiered at Venice and it was out of competition um, and then kind of platformed from there. And then they also had in the last few years, they had A Star is Born, which was out of competition. Um, you know, obviously a s smaller, more intimate kind of simple drama compared to this, but Warner Brothers behind that backing as well. And, and Joker, of course, uh, really took everyone by, you know, everything by storm because that was in competition. Um, and it won the golden line at Venice. Then it went on to TIFF and to, to these other uh, locations. So it, it's, it's a really good position to be in. Um, and I am, have been bullish on it forever. And I did write my most recent piece. And I did say, I think if everything, if it plays as strongly as I think it's going to, and it, everything that we've seen so far, um, whether it be the trailers or it be things that we've read from behind the scenes or we've seen at the IMAX preview, um, you know, I think it's undeniable in so many instances. It's hard for me to imagine, you know, from the costumes to the production design, the sound, the visual effects, Hans Zimmer's score, the cinematography looks exceptional. Um, and all of these people as well, and this is something that I include in my predictions and I go into detail about, all these people, these craftspeople who work on these different pieces they're all oscar nominated they're all they're well liked in their uh branches or in the academy in general so that that adds a little bit extra you know uh credence to that um and so i think in all those things that i've mentioned and more makeup and hairstyling another i think donald mowat has been severely looked over in a lot of instances um you know blade runner 24 9 probably being first and foremost um, I think he could probably he'll probably get his first nomination. I think that's really exciting. I remember talking to him. I did the interview last summer with him, uh, you know, over a year ago now. And I said, you know, I think I think this is you could win for this potential. I think you're actually going to get nominated. He was like, oh, that's really you know, nice, nice to say. Um, and I think that's probably going to pan out. And then you know, these big movies that are kind of blockbusters and they are huge, epic budgets and all that. When they do get Oscar play. The, and those categories add up. I'm thinking of something else like, you know, a, a gladiator, for example, um, Avatar, you know, James Cameron, another big sci-fi visual effects, heavy film. Like when they play well in those below the line categories, the technical categories, and they add up as they do to eight, nine, 10 nominations, that elevates the director into the, the conversation and that elevates the film into best picture. We saw that with Joker. I don't think Todd Phillips was in anyone's predictions to get a, a best director nomination before that movie came out. And he beat out people like Greta Gerwig who had been nominated before he beat out very well-established, well-liked filmmakers. Noah Baumbach was another example for marriage story. Um, so anything is possible. And Villeneuve, I think had, he's very well-liked. Um, he's talked about just recently having a really strong connection with uh, Christopher Nolan and with uh, Guillermo del Toro, he said that he actually, you know, got advice from them with regards to the film, the situations he's been in working on it. Um, I think that says a lot. So, and I think just his, the narrative that he has, if this film hits and is really, really 
successful. Um, you know, this narrative that has been going along this entire time of, I've been wanting to make this movie since I was a teenager. Like I have dreamt of this, like I've been building toward this my entire life. I've told people years ago, if I could only, you know, if I could make anything, it would be Dune. And the directors, oh, Chloe, Chloe uh, Ja, another great example. She just won best director. <laughs> she just won best picture. She has two Oscars from this year. And she said she went to a screening. Really, there's no other context to it other than she went to a screen. We don't know who else was there or what it was for. Maybe it was Venice related because um, she's on the jury there. But she saw it and she was just like, I was blown away. Like, I, I was so inspired. I couldn't believe what he was able to pull off. If someone like that is saying that, if Guillermo del Toro is saying, I am so happy. I think this is in really good shape. Christopher Nolan's like looking to Villeneuve. The director's branch kind of, it's very much like a brotherhood for lack of a better term. Um, and it's predominantly male. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that is going to be a factor. And then best picture, I think it, when, and, when, and if those films get in like a Fury Road, which was again, another Warner Brothers film that started at a film festival and went on to get best director, get, uh, best picture and it it got nominated it won like six oscars and in my predictions for dune at least i have you know visual effects i don't, I don't think anyone's going to argue about it i mean it's the best that you've seen in a couple of years probably just because the movies that we've been getting we haven't been getting a lot of big ones um the sound is phenomenal and he has really you know talented people who have won recently and been nominated recently um then you have the sound category very often coincides with wins if they win sound they usually win best editing because those two are very very much go hand in hand uh sound of metal just did that and i think the last eight years the film that won best sound won best editing um and that that goes almost every single film that gets nominated for editing gets nominated for best picture so all these things like as i mentioned they add up they kind of snowball and then i also think han zimmer this is something I tweeted about uh, just the other day when I was kind of breaking this down. He is second to only probably, you know, living composers, at least John Williams, who has like, I, like 50 Oscar nominations and like five wins or something. Um, Hans Zimmer, so many iconic scores, especially his Christopher Nolan work, I think in particular has really stood out like Inception and Interstellar, but going back to the Lion King and the Thin Red Line and, you know, something like Man of Steel and, 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 and the like Pirates of the Caribbean. He's had so many iconic scores and, and he won for The Lion King. But the Lion King was like 25 years ago, like 26 years ago. Um, I think he's so overdue. And I think what we've heard so far, the two tracks that have been released, people have been going crazy about and they really liked them. Um, I think he's in a really good position. I think he would deserve to win. And, and I think uh, that would be really exciting. Um, I can't wait to hear more of the score. And that's something we haven't really even talked about, but we're getting pieces of that at least on Friday as well, which is something to look forward to. We're just hours away from some more Hans Zimmer Dune music, which I think is really cool. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, it's a long season. Again, I'm not saying that everything I said is accurate. I do right now, as you mentioned, I have it getting the most nominations. I have it getting 11, which is what Joker got, um, which is a parallel that did launch at Venice. It's another Warner Brothers big blockbuster kind of film. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's exciting. And I, I really hope that uh, it does well awards at the end of the day. Again, this is just for fun. I don't really care about them. They don't really matter. This is something that kind of comes up every single year. It's like, Oh, I can't believe this movie didn't win an Oscar. I, I can't believe this movie wasn't nominated for an Oscar. It didn't win this. It didn't win that. It's like, 
yeah, they, they screwed this up a lot. Like there's by no means horrible movies win Oscars, horrible movies get nominated for Oscars. It's just the way it happens. And it's not indicative of anything else. Blade Runner 2049 got five nominations. I believe that's a pretty good haul for a movie that bombed effectively. Um, and it won two of those. And Roger Deakins was one of those. I could see that kind of being in a similar situation here where I think at the minimum, say the movie isn't the greatest movie ever made, say that the box office like isn't a, a huge breakout overperforming hit. I, could, I still think it's going to get like five, six nominations probably. Hans Zimmer could still win. It'll still win effects. It'll still win sounds, things like that, um, just because of the, the landscape of the movies right now. But I think... It's it's in a good position. I think this is something a lot of people are excited about. And there's something when I told you guys the other day about who had seen the movie already and what they were thinking and how they were kind of positioning it. I, that's, that's impressive. And I think that we're in a good position. I think it's exciting. And at the end of the day, what the Oscars mean to me, I think, is you want to see the people that are working hard on these movies and movies you like. Of course, you want to see them get rewarded. You want to see them get a, get a gold statue and you want to see them get some sort of compensation and all that uh, added on to what they already did and, and have that added to their name. Um, but, you know, they probably don't care that much either, honestly. Um, certain people probably do more than others, but it is what it is. It doesn't really, you know, validate anything. Um, it, but it is nice when you see things get recognized that you feel passionate about and you want to be recognized. Um, you know, 2019 Midsommar horror film probably my favorite film of that year never once would that ever get nominated for anything at the Oscars and like that 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 has no bearing on my opinion of it or anything of course so um but it's interesting it's gonna be interesting it's a long road as I mentioned we have TIFF we have New York we have these other festivals and then the Oscars themselves are like seven months away the nominations are like six months away so um nothing is set in stone but it's always fun to predict and i'm sure in a couple months after all this is over and the movie's out i'll probably change some things then and maybe i'll go up even more bullish or i'll take some things down but it's it's cool and uh i uh, i'm looking forward i've been really happy with how everyone has kind of like responded to it the people who've read it and, and said that they really appreciate it and they liked what they what they heard and they were interested uh in it so that's cool um but yeah now the that's out of the way. I wanted to get that done before the screenings actually happen because once that happens, it's like all bets are off. Who knows? Uh, opinions are going to be flying. I didn't want that to influence my own feelings about it. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. And of course I'm just as bullish on it now, if not more so than I was two years ago. So. Yeah, and I have to say, uh, well, well said by the way. And um, I, I think one of the things going back to Garen's uh, earlier point about uh, the story being being recognized. I mean, for, for me, that, that's one of the feelings I have. Like, Dune is such an important story. Like, it's been uh, important for for 60 years, and, like, it's it's just as relevant today as it was uh, before. Uh, so, yeah, like, for, for, for me, in terms of importance, like, I would really want that to see recognized in some way. So, like, it would be awesome if, if we did win some some technical uh, categories. But uh, yeah, like like having at least some recognition in terms of the the story, the the, the content, and hopefully for, for the for the director, that that, that would be like my, my hopes for this. Um, Simon, what what are your hopes, or if you want to make any predictions yourself? When I was a kid, I was a big Oscar guy. I would have my little <laughs> cheat sheet. Um, the older I got, maybe film school just burned me out from it. I love that you're so happy about award seasons and it's so hard to predict 
But you're right. Some of them, like, Dune looks beautiful. The score from Hans Zimmer looks amazing. Now, the performance, who knows? We might just be seeing the best of, and Rebecca Ferguson is horrible. And I'm not saying that, but you never know. Timothy Chalamet might be great in one scene, and then the rest you're like, wow. They should have got uh, Toby Maguire to play him <laughs> or someone else. I don't know. I was trying to connect Zendaya back to Spider-Man somehow. Um, but it's so hard so early on. I read your article. Awesome job. I don't even <laughs> want to know how long it took you to write that. <laughs> As I was reading it, now that I know you, I heard your voice totally come out of it. Good job on it. Yeah, it's hard to predict stuff. It really is. Well, thank you very much, Simon. I appreciate that. It's definitely, if nothing else, if you heard my voice in there, that's uh, probably <laughs> doing something right in that respect. But that's a great, I was also going to say to Marcus, that's a great point about the story. I think, and I, I think I specifically said this in the article, is that Dune has been like so long, it's been like untouchable. It's been like, you can't make this. You cannot possibly translate this into anything that makes sense or is enjoyable or accessible. Um, so if this movie is set, you know, accessible to critics, it's accessible to people in the industry and fans and general audience, and it does pretty well. Um, I would, and it is in that best picture nominated conversations in the best director nominated conversation. Villeneuve is liked Eric Roth, who helped write the script is liked. He's been nominated like five or six times for writing, uh, screenplays, uh, especially adapting them. He won for Forrest Gump. I think, yeah, I mean, I feel like that would be the highest uh, praise would be to nominate like for adapted screenplay, for example, because it, to do it and finally accomplish what no one has been able to accomplish and do it with such a revered and famous novel. I think you know, it would be kind of laughable uh, to not you know, recognize that to some extent. Yeah. Uh, Garen, uh, final thoughts. Yeah, great thoughts, you guys. Um, I feel a little bit like I just took 50 grand and, and invested in a, in a <laughs> stock like Tesla five years ago, you know, and, and so I'm nervous. I, I, want, I want all the planets to align, as it were. You know, I want, I want it to be nominated. And, and Johnny, I love that you have 11 for Dune. I, I want it to win some of these because Every recognition of the fact that this story, this director, these actors, this this effort, this creative effort, is is hitting the mark and it's firing on all cylinders. I, I just I'm excited if it can get all the attention it it, it can muster. You know, I mean, um, obviously I want it to be good and I want people to be honest. I want these critics to to not be tired when they're watching this film and writing up their criticism and their report. So. Um, but I, I am, I am a little nervous and I, I just want to make sure that it gets recognized. And I don't know, I was thinking about, do I know all of my favorite films and do I know whether they were nominated for an Academy mm -hmm. Award? And I, I know some, but I guess I don't know all of them. So, you know, mm -hmm. Johnny, I think you made the point, you know, it matters, but sometimes in the long run, it, it, it doesn't matter. But right now I think it matters. And I think it matters to Warner brothers and legendary because, the more recognition they can get, the more attention uh, is drawn mm -hmm. to this film. And, and I think it will just draw more people to go see it. And, and that's kind of my hope is that just droves of people go see this film in an IMAX, on an IMAX screen, 
because I, mm-hmm. I want to recreate, I want to feel that excitement, that that communal experience again with all these moviegoers. That's really what I'm hoping mm-hmm. for. Yeah, and Gary makes a great point. And this will be the last thing I say about it is that I said, I don't care about Oscars, really. Like, it doesn't really matter. And that is true. But also, as you just you know, astutely pointed out, it's there's two kind of elements to this. You want, you know, say the film comes out, everyone's going crazy about it. They're like, oh my God, this is the best science fiction movie ever made. And then, you know, maybe that doesn't necessarily translate into awesome box office or not exceptional performance there. Maybe the HBO Max numbers aren't like exceptional. And then it goes on and it gets nominated for like 10 Oscars. Or it gets nominated for eight Oscars. It gets nominated for best picture, it gets nominated for director. Warner Brothers and Legendary can't really turn away from that at that point. Like you wouldn't be like, Oh, Lord of the Rings fellowship. It, it, you know, didn't do that well, but it did get nominated for like 13 Oscars. Let's not make any more of those. Like that, that wouldn't really be a scenario I would realistically envision. And then uh, the second fold to that, that you also pointed out as far as driving people in, um, you know, by the time the Oscar nominations roll around, the movie's not really going to be in theaters anymore. Um, But by that point in the new year, January, February, it should be available. It'll be available at home on Blu-ray, DVD, that kind of stuff. It'll be available on video on demand. It'll be available probably on HBO Max. Um, When these movies, when they get Oscar nominated, people pay attention. Like they're in headlines. They hear them like, oh, wow, I'm amazed. Like that got nominated for that. I guess I need to, I guess I need to go watch it. Um, So they, they will go to HBO Max. They'll on their airplane, they'll put it on, you know, I know last year, people always say around Oscar season, well, I was on my airplane to whichever awards ceremony, everyone was watching Nomadland. They were watching Nomadland on the on the plane or, or Joker or something like that. Um, so yeah, it makes it does make a difference in that respect. And I think, yeah, the more attention that can be drawn to it, the more kind of respect it can earn in that, they, you know, in that respect, I think is uh, is good and, and bodes well for not just this film, but also the future. Yeah. Yeah, exciting. And so the the nominations are going to be announced on Tuesday, February 8th. So uh, we'll uh, look forward to that. So uh, that was uh, end of our discussion for today. So as mentioned, we're going to have a special episode coming up uh, talking about um, the Venice Film Festival, everything that, that comes down and we'll go into details and um, and go, go, go through the reactions there. So let's uh, close out for today's uh, today's show. So let's start with uh, with you, Garen. Where, where can they find you? Yeah, Garen with Dune Companion, uh, DuneCompanion.com. And, and I'm on Twitter a lot at Dune Companion. So come, come check out the Dune excitement. Yeah, find me on Twitter. Again, that's where I, I habitate most of the time these days in Venice. This is prime time right now. So Johnny Sobchak, that's my handle. Uh, Letterbox as well, uh, if you want to follow me there and hear my thoughts on things. I'm going to, I actually just today on Letterbox followed some people who I know are at the festival. So when they, their reviews or ratings go up, I can keep an eye on those for, for Dune and, and other things. But uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. Yep. And Simon on social media? So S. Dowdy, uh, Twitter, trying to be a little bit more active on there, mostly Instagram. By the way, I just want to, Thank everyone that subscribes to this channel and also comments on YouTube. Thank you, everyone that watches our little show that we do. <laughs> yeah, totally. And this was uh, Marcus Gabriel. So can find me on dunesnet.com and dunesnet on Twitter and Instagram. 
and look forward to seeing you all again very soon for our next special episode. We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops. Stay tuned to dunenewsnet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.